welcome to Straight Talk Live. I am one of your hosts, Rick Snyder. I am the CEO of Invisible Edge, the author of Decisive Intuition and head of culture at Refound. And very excited for this show today. This is our nonprofit where we get to explore uh, the conversations that we need to be talking about in a post-COVID climate when it comes to um, human transformation, digital transformation, social impact. And I'm very excited for this show in particular about the state of the media and the state of journalism today. And really that touches on all those three um, areas. Uh, but first, I want to hand it off to my co-host, Af Moholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone, for another fantastic Straight Talk.Live session. Uh, I'm the co-creator of um, Straight Talk.Live and, of course, the co-host and also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. And uh, delighted to have a wonderful guest on a topic that uh, is worrying us, it's plaguing us, and it's uh, taking a lot of our attention, um, ironically. So, Rick, back to you and let's crack on. Okay. So as we all know, um, this whole term around fake news has really, you know, lit up around the world and it's gotten to a point where it's true. Like we don't know what's accurate, what's real, what can we trust? Anyone can make news these days on any video re recorder and, um, or a written piece, um, around the world and can have it under a certain banner. And we don't know what's legitimate anymore. And there's so many ways it can get manipulated. So we have with us, an amazing journalist and correspondent, Ryan Chilcote. So Ryan, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be with the two of you. Thank you. And very excited about this topic because so many of us are struggling with all the information we're subjected to. What can we really trust? How do we get more informed and more smart about how we consume information? Where should be our go-to places? And what is the state of journalism? So just want to give a little background on you. We know that you've worked with uh, the PBS NewsHour, CBS, Bloomberg TV, CNN. You've been a correspondent in the heart of different war zones like Chechnya, Afghanistan, and Russia. Um, so you're like the Indiana Jones of news correspondents, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a share, good way to grow up. Yeah. I can you share like a little bit more about your background and how you got there and just a little <laughs> taste for our audience? Sure. So um, I went to university in California. That was in the early 90s. Uh, I was a big fan of CNN and I was a big fan of Russia. I was a Russian studies major and I thought, well, you know, I obviously should go to Russia and work for CNN. So I flew out to Atlanta uh, the day I graduated or the day after. And I said, hey, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. You need to hire me in Moscow. And um, there was a guy named Steve Cassie at the time running the international desk. He said, whoa, son, you know, have a seat, slow down. Why don't you uh, go over to, to Russia? And um, our, our millennials in the audience won't understand this, but he said, give us a collect call. And <laughs> that was his, his big bone to me was uh, he basically was giving me a, a, a expense-free call. Uh, mm. they, they, you know, CNN was going to pay for the call once I got to Moscow to discuss an internship. So... Um, so I went to Moscow, made my collect call through AT&T at the time. And I said, Steve, I'm here. You promised me a job. And he said, no, 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 I promised you um, an internship uh, or to discuss an internship. Well, it turned out that because I'd already graduated from university, he couldn't give, technically couldn't give me an internship. But, uh, you know, we, we found a way and I started interning for uh, CNN back in 1995. There was a lot going on in, uh, mm -hmm. in Russia at the time. It was always, you know, is Yeltsin dead, alive? drunk, uh, dancing, uh, throwing nuclear bombs around the world. Um, and it was a very unstable time. The second war in, uh, in Chechnya was underway, or rather the first war in, in Chechnya was underway. So I caught the tail end of that, the whole of the first one, or rather the second one. Um, yeah, and I sort of, I went from being an intern to being an associate producer, to being a producer, to being a producer. They occasionally let report, to being a reporter. Um, I covered all of the former Soviet Union. I like to refer to it as aggressive travel. I went mm -hmm. all around the former Soviet Union, all around Russia, from you know the sort of Far East uh, Russian border with North Korea right up to the Kola Peninsula and into the Arctic Circle. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I also covered you know some of the war zones. Um, you know something you do if you're sitting in a in a bureau when when things get quiet. So mm -hmm. I spent um, some quality time in in Afghanistan uh, immediately mm -hmm. following September 11. I arrived in uh, northern Afghanistan on September 14th, 2001, um, and I spent quite a bit of time in Iraq. Um, mm -hmm. I went to Kuwait before the war started, sort of got my timing wrong, showed up in Kuwait a little early, 
and ended up spending four or five months um, between uh, Kuwait and then uh, Iraq during the, the initial invasion and then went back for five, six more trips. So mm-hmm. spent a good couple of years of my life off and on in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and the balance mm-hmm. in, in Russia and the former Soviet Union living in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, I got this crazy um, proposal at a cocktail party where I'd already had a little too much to drink from this guy who said, hey, how'd you like to do business news, financial news? Uh, I work for Bloomberg TV. We, we'd love to hire you. And I'd never heard of Bloomberg TV and I had no idea what financial news uh, was or is. Um, but I thought, wow, you know, London, that sounds pretty good. You know, they they speak English in London. It's uh, a nice place to go. And, and it's still international. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to continue my, as you said, Indiana Jones adventure. So um, I rocked up in London and it turned out that, um, you know, business news, generally speaking, is a bit drier than going to war zones. Mm -hmm. But luckily for me, unluckily for the world, within weeks, we were in the uh, financial crisis of 2007 Mm. and 2008. And things got really uh, dramatic very quickly. And I learned to really love business and finance Mm. news and think that actually uh, it's uh, quite a privilege to engage in it. It's a bit more challenging in a lot of ways than, you know, being in a war zone with, with exciting things going on around you and dramatic things going on. Mm. Um, and so I, I did that until uh, just uh, 2016, 2017. And now, mm-hmm. as you uh, correctly pointed out, I freelance. I work with the PBS mm-hmm. NewsHour, other news organizations, uh, worked with CBS in the past, you know, on a sort of gig by gig basis. So let's go right there. Let's do some straight talk because I love that you're a freelancer. So you're not beholden to any organization. Sure, you can yeah. speak freely about your experience or all of them. And so let me ask you this. Um, what's your honest take about how journalism was when you were growing up in the ranks and people had to fact check things? You know, there were editors that were, you know, very fastidious about that. At the yeah. same time, it wasn't as politicized, I think, as you see a lot of news outlets now where it's clear who's right leaning, left leaning those kind of things. What changes have you seen in the industry from when you started to what you see right now? Well, there's definitely a lot more opinion, right? That's a good place Mm -hmm. to start. So when Mm -hmm. I was taught to be a journalist and I was literally taught on the job, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, This was, you know, back in in the mid nineties. I was always taught that my opinion is irrelevant and um, Mm -hmm. I should never share it with anyone. So Thankfully, at the time, there were things like Twitter or other social media. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel compelled to you know, discuss the news um, in that kind of environment. I either appeared on TV and you know, during doing a live shot, or maybe I was writing a CNN, CNN.com article, but it was either hard facts or it was what we used to call a reporter's notebook, which was a little sort of experiential where I kind of brought my own little personal take, but not my personal opinion. And whatever I, uh, let's say if I was doing a news package, Mm. uh, you know, a sort of uh, sound on tape recorded, you know, you've seen them, the reports as opposed to live, then every single word would get vetted by um, what was called the row, uh, a group of assignment editors uh, led by, uh, some really uh, extraordinary journalists who would, you know, take your script and sometimes they'd say that looks fantastic, go for it. And other times would look at it and scratch their head and say, yeah, I actually don't even really think you have a story here. You know, mm. so anything in between, you know, they could completely reject it because they felt like you, you know, just hadn't produced journalism or they could, um, you know, just help you massage the story to make it more clear, um, less biased. Maybe you were, you know, m- missing the other side. I do see nowadays um, some news organizations don't do what uh, script approval, what that process is called. And obviously, I, I, I could not uh, help but notice that when you watch uh, television in the United States, uh, I'm sitting in London, but I still see a lot of U.S. news, even as I participated in it, I'm also a consumer of it. There's a lot of opinion out there, not to mention when I even talking about social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so things mm-hmm. have definitely changed. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, it's fascinating uh, for those of us who have not been in journalism um, that, you know, you come from a world where your opinion was irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> it almost sounds like sounds like some surreal um, description of what media would be in the past, because today, of course, everyone seems to have an opinion. And of course, everyone seems to have a device of some sort to share that opinion uh, as loudly, as brashly or as. Uh, articulately as they, as they wish, um, which has been one of the big problems around the confusion 
and the dilution of what one thinks is the kind of um, accurate versus inaccurate, real versus fake. Um, talk to us about, you've talked to us about yesterday, talk to us about today. What's yeah, changed? well, I mean, what, one thing I'll tell you, and, and, and I don't mean to be disingenuous in saying this, is I got, I, I'd like to think that I got so good at, I always had an opinion, particularly in the beginning, I had an opinion, but I got so good at, at suppressing my opinion, or at least I'd like to think I got so good at suppressing my opinion that I, I didn't share it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and after a while, I stopped having an opinion. Now that might be not a good thing. So not only was I not sharing it, but I genuinely like really didn't have one um, because I, I kind of just got into this state where you, you share what's happening mm -hmm. um, and you, um, you, I mean, the way you sort of, I, I was in Russia, right? Very different view on things and the way you get to, to, to uh, get people to share that view with you is to basically shut up and, and listen to them. Um, and what you, what you don't get is, um, is if you tell them what you think, generally speaking, you, mm -hmm. you, you don't end up sort of learning a whole lot. You end mm -hmm. up in an argument. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, that's different than, um, you know, how things are nowadays. I, I feel like, um, I feel like people do share their opinion. I feel like it's different now though. It's, it's harder now. So I don't really want to judge my colleagues that, um, engaged in this. I think we should all recognize that there are people in the news um, and um, usually they're kind of well identified that are kind of pundits, right? That's mm -hmm. their thing. They're columnists. They're, mm -hmm. their, their job is to share their views. And mm -hmm. then they're even within the same news organizations, journalists, reporters, mm -hmm. whose job is to tell you the facts. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure that even when the journalists are not telling you the facts, that that's a terrible thing. Because if you think about the situation in the United States, um, you know, this, this whole like kind of thing where, um, well, this side says X and the other side says Y. If you know that X is a lie, um, then maybe you should be able to say it's a lie, right? Mm -hmm. um, we were taught no, right? That you just, you just say what X is and maybe you, um, you know, later in the story sort of lay out the, 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 the issues with that. Mm -hmm. But we didn't get engaged in the, you know, sort of um, a process of uh, sort of editorializing. We would, you know, we would, we would include the other side, the other, the opposing view, where they said it's a lie. But mm -hmm. I mean, things have changed a lot, and I think the media, you know, became in the, in the United States uh, part of the news. Uh, uh, a um, you know, everybody started talking about the media. This is an uncomfortable place mm. for the media to be. That wasn't mm. the case in the 90s in the United States. Mm. It was the case um, in Russia in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. Mm. So when everybody, when I came to the States in, let's say, uh, 2015, 16, 17, and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, uh, I remember this, um, this producer at a big uh, U.S. news channel telling me, you know, my journalists, they're so frazzled. They're getting attacked day in and day out. I, I got to do something for them, help them. I was like, God, I wish my editors had felt like that because that, that was constantly the relationship in the field mm -hmm. for international correspondents in huge swaths of the world. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any like sort of, um, you know, I guess this is wrong to say, but I didn't have any uh, sort of compassion for those journalists because I was like, hey, you know, get used to it. You know, mm -hmm. that su suck it up. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be friends with the people that you're covering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Do you, do you think, um, do you think um, this piece around the ha it almost feels like you created a habit of not saying what you think. Yeah. Um, it almost feels a little bit like you were like the objective correspondent who had to look well, at both I was both trying parts. to be. We all have, um, you know, we all have, as, as is, is so you know popular to talk about these days, we all <clears> have sort of uh, our own uh, prejudice that we're maybe not even uh, aware of. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, we would certainly, I, I get called out on that. Um, you know, like say by the Russians, you know, the Russians, I would always say to me in the 90s, I thought it was so novel. They, they assumed that CNN was CIA TV, right? Uh -huh. they, 
we work for the U.S. government that I was, you know, right up until even just, you know, a few years ago, good friends of mine or good sources of mine would just assume that I was kind of an arm of the U.S. government. And I'd be like, no, really, you know, that they've never told me what to say. I don't even talk to them. I don't see them. You know, they, they're, they're nowhere in the process. But it is true that um, if you think about CNN, for example, uh, you know, reporters that work for CNN, you know, because uh, it's a U.S. and an international channel, they have CNN. I, but if you think about the U.S. channel, you know, they generally are Americans. They generally have an American worldview. Uh, they're generally interested in what the U.S. government uh, is saying about things. And, and things do go through that prism a little bit. I want to ask you about this. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked to, touched on in other previous episodes is this idea of controlling the narrative mm. and how much power that is when media, for example, was one of the biggest arms of being able to control a narrative and then, of course, distribute that in, to, in mass, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and maybe now we're more impacted by that, by that than ever with social media and internet yeah. and TV. And like, we're constantly bombarded by input. And so if you control the narrative, you win, even if the narrative is not based in facts and truth. Right? You can yeah, manipulate because that. Maybe there is something to that. Because if you think about it, when I started... Um, in the, in the news business in the sort of early mid nineties, right. We were, we were just learning email. I mean, I, you know, that <laughs> it was 1995. I saw my first cell phone. It was a big Motorola flip phone and it heated up when you held it. And, um, you know, <laughs> so, give you some brain so we had the exclusive rights mm. when it came to, you know, we were the arbiters of truth. Right. We had the, we had an exclusive uh, right to distribute the news. Mm. You, you know, I, I was working for CNN. Where else were you going to get it? You were going to get it on the networks. You know, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS had uh, hour-long nightly newscasts, morning newscasts. And then there were the newspapers. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Mm -hmm. But now, obviously, if you, um, you know, uh, have a Twitter account uh, and you tweet a lot, and you can um, not only create, but you can distribute and you, uh, you know, journalists have lost that sort of exclusive mm -hmm. uh, position. And, you know, if you say things uh, often enough, you know, that people like to hear, you know, you can, you can develop a following and that can be really powerful. And, you know, that person doesn't have to even ever come to listen to me on CNN, for example. Mm -hmm. what, what about the elements of specialism and expertise and training? You would imagine when you were doing what you were doing, and there's a whole generation of journalists in, in yeah. during your time and before. Um, and this is just, you know, we have different listeners, right? Different age groups. So not yeah. everyone will connect with what happened 25 years ago, some younger listeners, and we've got those. Yeah, 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 around sure. the block. So uh, what, what are your views on, and we'll come to the narrative in a second and bias yeah. and so on. What are your views on, uh, specialism, like, you know, like the, tw the two examples, the Twitter person and you, uh, you yeah. have, you know, the, the idea of ethics, risk, responsibility, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, this is where I, you know, I always feel like every time I say this, I'm like the, the grumpy old guy, right? Um, I feel like expertise is not valued anymore. Um, you know, I consider myself to be a, a Russia expert, for example. Mm. I've been going to Russia since 1990. Um, it, you know, that's 30 years. Uh, there are hundreds I discovered during the, you know, Russiagate uh, uh story in the investigation in Russia, hundreds of Russia experts, right? Who have never been to Russia, who don't speak mm -hmm. Russian, right. who don't know anyone in Russia. Mm. Uh, so, and I think, you know, in the TV space, you know, let's face it, um, broadcast television isn't just about uh, knowledge and expertise, mm -hmm. being an expert. It's also about sounding good, being fluent, looking good, um, being representative of your audience. And so I do feel that that's been lost a little bit in general, right across the media space, the true sort of expertise. Everybody seems to be uh, really quick to think that they know what they're talking about. Whereas I think, you know, many of us, the older we get, think we, you know, sort of maybe realize or, or at least believe that we don't really know very much at all, but maybe relative to other people, we have something to share. 
Do you think do you, what if you were to pinpoint on one factor or driver or trend that's made that happen? Would you like, for example, a lot of people say I'd blame social media, uh, you know, because Facebook was used during the Arab Spring. People said, well, don't believe them. Don't believe CNN or don't believe Fox or don't believe the BBC. Actually, I'm going to tell you the story from the ground. And it, you know, it was mm -hmm. a very powerful way for all of us around the world to try and really truly understand what's going on um, in, in an extreme situation, an extreme situation, a war-torn uh, country and so on. Do you think, um, um, do you think that's been the, the real disruptor of, of the world you're talking about of the past? It's, it's social media or is it something else? Social media is definitely part of it. Maybe it's not the only thing. Um... You know, there is a focus even in traditional media on um, cost, on, uh, you know, sort of vibrancy of, of you know, it's a tough, uh, there are m many more talented people uh, that could do the job of, let's say, TV reporters than there are spots. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes I feel like some of the other constituent parts to the you know the the in the magic sauce that that have the other ingredients they 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 win out so i'm not sure it's just social media but let me continue to think about that as as we as we speak when you draw on your different experiences like pbs cbs bloomberg uh cnn and you have a quite a diverse uh, group of experiences and probably yeah. a lot of um sure. diff different freelance experiences you've had beyond that as well um what's been your experience in terms of where you feel like you have freedom to tell the story you're not going to be censored versus times where you're totally having to fit into their narrative um what's your experience on that range of what that's been like for you as a journalist and mm. curious to hear nah you're gonna make me choose favorites here yeah <laughs> look i will say this big bone to to pbs i think pbs takes uh, a lot longer gives uh reporters more time to tell complex stories mm -hmm. uh, and is prepared to um you know, they used to, I don't know if this is true. This is like myth, right? Um, mm. But they, urban myth, but they apparently used to say dare to, you know, to bore, right? The, 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 the element of entertaining people mm -hmm. um, as part of the news business mm -hmm. is, is really not a high priority at mm -hmm. PBS. It's mm -hmm. about getting the story right, helping mm -hmm. people understand it, taking five, six, seven minutes to do that. Mm -hmm. You will not see that in um, regular uh, broadcast newscasts very mm -hmm. often because they've got a half an hour, an hour. So I, I have felt, and you know, this is with all the respect in the world of CBS, some of the most amazing uh, journalists work at CBS. It's a bit clipped sometimes. And, and also I would say sometimes it feels you know, a little tendentious you know, a little, um, let's hype it up. Let's, mm -hmm. let's make it really dramatic, you know, ah, you know, or even when it's supposed to be raw, you know, let's, let's make it raw. Let's like, yes. let's, let's like create raw, not, let's not just do raw. Let's mm -hmm. like practice raw so that it looks raw. Um, and I just feel that, uh, you know, and I don't, and I, that would be true of all of the networks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I feel like there's this, uh, this this emphasis to wow, you know, because you're mm -hmm. fighting for attention. We're, yeah. we're, we're, you know, so often things are a little more nuanced. In fact, Shannon in our audience is asking a question on this very issue right here. She okay. says, I hope you don't work for CBS, Shannon. I'd love a job. <laughs> she says, no, Fox News. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she, so she, she asks, have you ever felt... I, I, I will say in Fox News, uh, I know everybody likes to pick on Fox News. I think that Fox News reporters, <laughs> and I occasionally work with Fox, I think Fox News reporters in the field tell it like they see it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there is bias coming from their reporters. I think, mm -hmm. you know, they got a lot of talk shows where there are people that are sharing their, you know, sort of more, they're more pundits. Mm -hmm. And so here's what Shannon wants to ask you is, have you ever felt pressured to produce more sensational content? Yes. Uh, that's, that was getting to viewership. my point. Yes. Yep. So yeah, you have felt yeah. pressured for that. Yeah, yeah. I have. Yes. A hundred percent. Not to, not to, um, uh, not to, um, not to lie, uh, but to, you know, sort of build something up, be, be a little bit more sensationalist than necessary, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about, I cover Russia, right? Russia is like the big bogeyman, right? I'm not giving anybody a fair, uh, I'm not giving anybody a, a pass here, 
But um, so, you know, uh, uh, I think news editors like uh, like everybody else on this planet are given to uh, quick fixes, you know, and like, oh, well, you know, it's like a cookie cutter. Oh, like, well, so Russia, you know, we know this is our perception of Russia. So it must be this. I was reading this tweet the other day. It was uh, and I was just like, what the heck? Like uh, they were um, it had something to do with the Russia gate. Right. And the guy, it was an exchange between two smart reporters in Washington, D.C. And one of the, re the reporters said, yeah, you know, Russia's great. But, you know, they also, um, during uh, World War II, went around and raped people during, um, during uh, you know, after they liberated uh, Berlin. I thought, you know, what, are the, <laughs> what a strange thing that they were discussing, you know, something about, you know, sort of. 2020 uh, From 80 years ago taking place 2020 <laughs> and now we're back in 1940 what 44 43 and i thought geez you know uh but that isn't, isn't has that this individual ever been to russia how relevant is that yeah, i mean right. I, I don't know i haven't seen the statistics I, you know i'm sure soviet troops weren't great uh <laughs> I, I, but that doesn't mean that they didn't play a, a role in in helping to liberate you know a good chunk mm -hmm. of europe and and I don't know that all American troops always acted with a hundred percent honor. Uh, you know, I, right. I assume they do. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I spent a lot of time covering U.S. troops, but it just felt a little bit of a kind of nationalistic, mm. jingoistic, sure. patriotic, odd thing for a reporter to say. Mm. So, given that, let's talk about uh, there are quite a few questions that are coming in. So, we're not going to wait till the end because we're going to go through um, all all sorts of topics. So, yeah. Bill's got Bill's got a bunch of questions. I'm trying to work out which one to ask first. I'll go with the most recent one, which um, is an interesting one. So, what impact do you believe the overwhelming left wing ideology embraced by the vast majority of professional journalists, editorial staff, management has on um, the objectivity and credibility of the media? <laughs> <laughs> okay um <laughs> fair question uh uh you know on linkedin before we uh did this i did yeah. uh, you know one of the things that you raised uh that we were going to discuss is uh, how uh, credibility journalist credibility is mm -hmm. is is under fire uh mm -hmm. distrust of journalists is under fire i notice it's particularly under fire amongst conservatives Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, liberal, uh, more left-leaning people are more likely to trust the media, according to the poll that I shared on on our, our LinkedIn conversation there, than right-leaning Americans, mm -hmm. which I find interesting. Look, um, I don't know if all journalists are leftists. What I do know is it's probably true that there is an underrepresentation of right-leaning people amongst journalists. I think there is something to that. Um, and uh, I don't think it's like a, a conspiracy uh, mm -hmm. of, of uh, but I, I do think that some of the conservative values that many of my good friends have um, outside of the media don't seem to be as prevalent, uh, sort of represented as prevalently inside the media as as outside. But what, remind me the the latter half of that question. Yeah. So um, the latter half was. Um, uh, let me read the question again. So what impact do you believe the overwhelming left-wing ideology embraced by the vast majority of professional journalists, staff, management has on the objectivity and credibility of the media? Uh, objectivity, credibility. So, so I think all journalists, uh, the vast majority of journalists, let's put it this way, are all well-intentioned. Um, they are doing their job they work very hard. They don't get paid a lot of money. Um, the you have to put it in the perspective of you know they are um, coming. Uh, how can I say this without uh, tripping over myself here? I I think they. Uh, I am tripping over myself. There we go. <laughs> I think that. Um, there is a kind of life experience issue, which does hurt the media a little bit. I think journalism is a calling. It tends to be a career and people who are journalists tend to do that. That's, you know, that's been it. That's the, always the, uh, the way it's been, you know, they're, they're kind of chronicling what's going on. And as a result, maybe they don't, 
uh, get the mix in with, you know, maybe they've never had another job other than being a journalist, but they try and be honest. But I think that because there are some people um, that, uh, that um, feel like their, their values aren't represented by the people they're watching. Um, I mean, I feel like this is like the whole conversation in the United States. Journalists are just like part and parcel of a lar larger issue in the United States, where a lot of people in the U.S., it feels like, you know, if you think about our election, it's, it's turned into this kind of culture war, right? Where people on the right feel that people on the left are dictating how mm -hmm. they should behave. Mm -hmm. And journalists have just been put in that camp mm -hmm. on the left. But that's mm -hmm. not really fair and not really true. Um, so I think that, th that, that the, the perceptions that journalists are part of that agenda has not helped journalists, but I don't really believe that that is their agenda. Mm -hmm. Bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy thing going on here as well. Yeah, yeah, that um, wasn't a very good answer, but yeah, maybe you'll ask me another. I get it. You get branded, you get tagged, and and, and so on. Um, there are two. Can we ask a few more questions, Rick? Yeah, sure. Go for it. That have come in. Yep. So yep. one is, and I'll keep moving around because different people are asking different questions. One in from Facebook because we have uh, we're broadcasting on multiple social media channels. Yeah. From FB, um, Rajan Shigunshi, do you think the dilution of real journalism is because of too many players? allowed in the market who, who are creating this new form of competition. Um, and is this itself therefore posing a dilemma of control uh, on journalism uh, and, and its landscape and I guess its future? The, uh, the so many players, uh, is that diluting real uh, Real reporting? journalism, yeah, yeah. I think I think this also relates back to a sort of new new types of journalism, sensational yeah. journalism that you, you see in different parts of the world. I mean, you certainly see it in the States. I'm not sure about the UK. I don't think we're culturally as sensational, but I do see it in parts of India, for example, as classic breaking news, you know, um, sort of mentality. But I think this gentleman saying, uh, what is your view on that? You think? Um, you Let know, me. So um, I kind of feel like we sort of talked about that a little bit earlier. Let me yeah. talk about a, a, a different issue, which I think is is happening in the United States. If was that yeah. an American asking that question? I think he's a Brit. Okay. What 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 in in American news? And and we we we've talked about this before, right? What what we have seen is the whole story for the last four years has been Washington D.C. Yeah. Right. It's been Paul. It's been inside the beltway politics. And I feel like that that has not been helpful. Um, you know, it's this partisan, you know, he says, she says, and we're not really seeing real people. It's just been these politicians lobbying, lobbying kind of insults and uh, and criticism at one another. Mm. Um, and all I there's an extraordinary amount of very high quality journalism happening. But the bandwidth for it over the last four years has been infinitesimally small mm -hmm. because the biggest story in the world, not just in the United you know, States, but the biggest story in the world was in Washington, D.C. for the last four years. So I think if you continue to watch the news, right, uh, particularly as we move out of this pandemic, mm -hmm. the mosaic of sophisticated, deep reporting, it's going to come back into frame over mm -hmm. the next year mm -hmm. or so. And and I think we're all going to enjoy in that. I, I I think it's just that it was just this this blip in time where it became, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, and, mm -hmm. and that was the, the the sort of the extent of the of the news that was reaching everywhere, everyone in the world. You know, Ryan. On that note, let me just share a quick uh, slide for you here, mm -hmm. um, and we just <clears throat> chat about this briefly. So this is uh, coming from an independent source that's rating, it's called Ad Fontes Media. And they're trying to rate um, out of all the media outlets out there, which yeah. ones are more neutral, which ones skew yeah. left or right, and also yeah. which ones are more based in fact versus fiction yeah. uh, and made up, you know, made up opinion and what have you. Right. Uh, and so you'll see in this, um, you know, what scores pretty much in the center are things like The Economist, yeah. BBC, BBC actually scored pretty well, uh, AP Reuters is usually up there um, on top of the class. Yeah. Uh, as far as being not so biased, then you get CNN on the far left. Uh, yeah. Fox News is on the far right, although on this diagram, it's not on here, but it's on a different one they have. OK, um, so you just see some different possibilities here. Yeah. Uh, and then you also well, see fiction towards the bottom and more fact uh, as we go higher up. Like, yeah. So so I'll tell you what I think about this. So yeah. so I'm delighted that AP and Reuters are in the middle. So for our viewers that don't know, those are uh, the, uh, the Associated Press and Reuters are, are news agencies. and. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, perhaps, 80% of what you hear um, 
uh, maybe that's an overstatement, but a huge chunk of the information that's being shared with you on any, all of these other platforms is coming from the Associated Press and Reuters. Mm -hmm. uh, it is journalists retelling their reporting. Uh, right. It happens all the time. You know, when you, when you turn on the news, you're you, often, you know, many reporters have their own sourcing, original reporting. A lot of times they're just leaning on, you know, copy the news <clears throat> stories of the Associated Press and Reuters. So it's wonderful that they're in the middle. Right. Um, NPR, I, I personally, I'm going to say something contrarian, find that a little bit surprising. When I was in the United States, I, I heard a 60 second, I, you know, we're going to put my personal politics aside. I don't think they would shock anyone, but maybe this considering what you, if you tried to guess what my personal politics are, this might come as a little bit of a surprise. I thought NPR was not as objective as it could have been mm -hmm. uh, in this one particular story I was listening to. Mm -hmm. They had a soundbite from the Democrats attacking the Republicans. It was a story about how, you know, the, the story was about how, uh, and this was going back, maybe this was in August, uh, the, the, the two sides were unable to agree on um, you know, financial relief for, for Americans, the Republicans mm -hmm. and Democrats. And it started with, you know, this sort of the, the, the reporter saying that they're unable to agree. And then there was attack. There was a, a soundbite from the Democratic leadership saying, you know, this is the Republicans. They don't want to help you. And then the reporter said that Republicans see it differently. And mm -hmm. there was no soundbite from the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And right. I thought. Yeah, it's know, not balanced. An editor should have stepped in and said, yeah. "You should have a soundbite from the Republicans, right?" Yeah. X, Y, you know. Anyway, yes. But NPR, generally speaking, does incredible in-depth reporting, and I'm mm -hmm. a huge fan. Um, and I, you know, I already talked about the others. I think you know, um, like for example, uh, at all of these places, like if you talk about broadcasts media, usually the reporters are doing their best to give you balanced news. It's if you think there's bias, it's usually on the talk shows. Mm -hmm. So my main question for you in this is, and you'll see more reliable scored higher up, less reliable are the ones in the bottom. Yeah. Here's my question is, what do you think the media needs to do to regain credibility in terms of less bias, more fact, more reporting, the real story and letting you interpret as you will? Um, what Do you have any sense of what needs to change in the industry? Jeez. We, we ask light questions here on Straight Talk Live. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, what, is, <laughs> what needs to change in the industry? Um, we need more on-the-ground reporting. We need more reporting that doesn't have to do expressly with politics. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, if you think about the United States, a huge amount of what's going on in the U.S. has nothing to do with Washington, D.C., Washington DC is, is an expression of it. Mm -hmm. It's happening in Montana. It's happening. The news is in Montana. The news is in California and in Boston. So one way is more original reporting, <clears throat> actually doing what TV is supposed to do, taking people places that they are, can't get to in their home. Oh, what could be more important when we're all stuck at home during the pandemic? If there was one thing, I think that would be it. Less talk, more show. Mm. Geez, there's another the whole bunch of questions coming in so i'm going to try and interpret all of them i think there's yeah. there's a big push towards trying to unpack social media related journalists yeah. and i think that plays to ego that plays to the personal brand of the journalist it plays to sensationalism because that sells right you go on your twitter your facebook your insta yeah. and people are used to these short pieces and, and it kind of almost goes against what you said earlier on which was detailed investigations you know like we in the uk we have this thing called panorama uh, panorama right. reports you really get as you know you get into details you, you fact check uh it's objective and and it's it's uh, pleasurable um content but i think yeah you know people, the thing about like, like twitter to, to that yeah. point is that it's a little bit so i worked at uh, bloomberg television for a really long time and and bloomberg tv is 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 just the televised form of the bloomberg terminal yeah. really right which is yeah basically gives financial professionals around the world their news. Um, and there's just loads of news on it. It's supposed to be the Cadillac of, of, uh, of, of sort of uh, information providers for, pe yeah. for bankers, really, right? And so everything a banker needs to know uh, should be on there. And there's <laughs> lots of in-depth stories. The truth is that um, very few people read the in-depth stories Almost all bankers read the one-line updates, Correct. the incremental mm -hmm, developments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Twitter's yeah. great for that. 
if you have a great background on something and you just, you don't need to read 13 pages because you already know 12 and a half of them, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we all enjoy some nice narrative and stuff, but you know that. So you just, you're just looking for what changed today? What infinitesimally small development was there that cha will change my view of something? I think Twitter is useful for that, but the context I mean, come on, it's just, it's almost never there, right? I mean, mm -hmm. people, and and even if it is there, people don't dig that deep, right? I mean, how many times, I'm to blame, have you retweeted a story without reading the story you were retweeting yeah, just because absolutely. you agreed with the headline? Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Well, well, that's the, and I think that's, there's another question around this, which is specifically related to headlines. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a piece around ethics. So what are Ryan's views on the ethics on sensationalism today when headlines don't always reflect the true content of the article? And headlines are used as clickbait rather than a fair representation of the article. Yeah, I think it's lame. You know, I think it's really, it's a shame. You know, um, I've, if, if, if there's one area where you really see the editorialization, the, the sort of partisanship, the, the opinion coming into news, it's in headlines. It's, quite frankly, shocking sometimes when you read, you know, they're just like totally infused. And I guess it's because, you know, they know their audience, right? But yeah. you know what I'll, what I'll say, Af, is uh, in the UK, right? So, you you know, we saw the BBC and stuff like that. It's kind of being neutral arbors. But also, you know, what one thing that's different maybe about how the US used to be mm. and, and, um, and, and how uh, the UK is now mm. is... Um, you know, it's not unusual for a news organization to have a kind of political orientation in the UK. Mm. That was unusual in the past in the United States to have a pronounced political orientation. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the answer to some of these problems is get your news from more than one source. And that way you get to, you know, hear different viewpoints. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a note from someone who says, uh, Ryan, the BBC is not neutral anymore. Yeah, I know a lot of people think that. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to jump in on that debate nope, because that's, that's just, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll be here for hours. Right. Uh, so so Chaz, who's in the, in the UK as well, uh, he asked, he says, basically, I also worked in Russia for 10 years in the 90s yeah. as an economist. Uh, and yeah. he wants to ask you, Ryan, um, how can you continue to write about Russia in the current anti-Russian sentiment that's out there today? Yeah, I know, because it's almost like... Um, you're almost like a bad guy for reporting Russia from Russia, right? Uh, I a lot of times feel like I'm like a Russia apologist, mm -hmm. which is I'm not, mm -hmm. um, you, know, uh, you know, a Putin apologist. Russia mm -hmm. has become Putin. Uh, you know, Putin has become Russia. You know, when you talk about Russia, you're talking about what you think about Putin, not a country of 144 million people. So the, the question is, again, basically, how can you keep reporting on Russia amidst the backdrop of an anti-Russian sentiment, how do you bring your voice forward in effective ways when that's still happening in the space? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because if you think about like the, the Russia investigation, right? right? All of the news was coming out of uh, um, the United States and out of mm -hmm. DC. Uh, the Russians, unsurprisingly, were not sharing uh, any <laughs> any insight as to what they were doing in terms of meddling in the election. Uh, and so, um, you know, all of the Russia experts, all of a sudden, all the, you know, all the news about Russia and what Russia had been up to was coming out of, you know, sort of, you know, mm -hmm. maybe Maryland, but mostly Washington, D.C. Uh, look, I think now's a great time, and I intend to do this, to re-engage with the Russia story and to find out where Russia is. I think that there's a misconception, and I'm sure if uh, 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 the viewer uh, was in Russia in the 90s, that Russia is this uh, super powerful, um, extremely capable manipulator of the world. It's not, it's much weaker, it's much more nuanced. And I think now is a great time to do that. PBS gives me the space to do that. Mm. Uh, the, the other networks, you know, let's see, you know, um, it's a big world. They have limited uh, limited bandwidth for for uh, nuanced storytelling. We have um, we have a few more. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reel them out. Uh, this is uh, an interesting one. I think you've touched on it, but your view would be appreciated. Uh, again, from Bill, Donald Trump and Black Lives Matter are both media creations. The conflict and drama generated by both have been um, great for ratings. 
And given that, how much responsibility for the divisive hyper-partisanship uh, we've fallen can be laid at the feet of media? How much can we blame the media for Donald Trump and Black Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. I think it's more about the conflict and drama generated right. and the sensationalism right. around hyper-partisanship right. hyper yeah. and yeah. How, much, how much of that can be blamed on the media. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this is one of those where we could go on forever. I feel like, you know, the media is a, 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 a convenient scapegoat. I'm, I'm not so uh, I'm not so sure that the media is to blame for everything in um, in the hyper partisanship out there. Um, I, you know, I, 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 yeah, maybe people have just gotten lazy. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, when I'm back in the, for example, in the U S uh, you know, so I was just there and, um, you know, I was perhaps, uh, unsurprisingly surprised at how partisan, uh, people's views, uh, about the pandemic were. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, people just need to kind of like uh, just read more, uh, maybe we live in a more challenging world where the onus isn't really on the. The, the, the people to blame, maybe it's not the, the media, maybe it's the consumer that yeah. just wants that quick fix of, mm -hmm. oh, here's what's going on in, in, in five minutes. We live in a much more complicated world where, you, yeah. you, you know, you, you got to look at a couple of different, uh, you got to read in, as we say, yeah. as journalists, you got to know what's going on and you got to know about it from more mm -hmm. than one source. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out, you know, if the media is to blame for all of this. Mm -hmm. I, I heard Obama the other day talking about how, um, you know, it's a big part of it, but some of this stuff started pre, uh, and I, and I'd have to agree with him that mm -hmm. like he talked about Sarah Palin was, was a thing and um, sort of this partisan and, and uh, conservative kind of uh, uh, sort of different way of looking at the world started pre predated uh, the explosion of social media. So I think maybe we need just need to look at ourselves uh, probably a little bit more. I think it's a really good point, just that it can be easy to blame the media. And yes, they do have a lot of power and influence. And that's, I think, unquestioned uh, that that's true. And we all have our individual responsibility. Right. And we can't but, just... But if we go back to our yeah. earlier point, right, Rick? I mean, uh, journalists have a lot less uh, power, yeah. right? Consu people have the power now. Because they have the power to listen or not to listen. And there's every view out there. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, you can, you know, whether it's on Sirius, uh, your, your one talk show, mm -hmm. or people go out there and listen to what they want to listen to. And or, or they make news with their iPhone, video recording something on the street, right? Yeah. 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 And so that's happening right there where they're taking, you're getting the power that way of just getting to broadcast what you see and feel and experience. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. look, it goes down to any industry that there, there's some perils of democratization of anything. Um, there are mm -hmm. always downsides. And I think what's happening right now is, as you know, we all have mobile phones. We, we all journalists of some sort. I remember five years ago, there's this whole sort of, um, uh, you know, message to the younger generation that you're empowered. You need to go out and go, go cover the news in your district, in your local area. Yeah, yeah. If you're upset about the rubbish collection, you're a journalist, you have a voice. And I think that movement has some merit, but I think it's been, it's been diluted. And, and of course, people are using very, very clever techniques on social media to, um, you know, be at the top of the list to have these headlines, keywords, you know, your people are training other people on, on, um, publicizing information that is probably inaccurate and certainly not researched. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, I mean, you know, so maybe we're on something, maybe the takeaway of this conversation, one of them could be, we've just gotten a bit lazy. You know, I was talking about how we like uh, often retweet stories that we haven't read ourselves. Mm -hmm. What about retweeting the story that you haven't read yourself that happens to be seven years old, you know, like <laughs> I'm guilty of that, uh, you know, and it's, <laughs> It's because we're lazy. Like, you know, you sit down, you get your news in like 30 seconds. Oh, that's mm -hmm. what's happened in the world. Yep. It used to be you had to sit there for 30 minutes or you had to read the like whole newspaper. Father, right? Used mm -hmm. to read the Sunday New York Times. Yeah. Pissed everybody off on the planet. Right. The man like disappeared for seven hours, right. but he actually engaged with the news. And it yeah. was like, a, you know, it took like a day, but, you know, he kind of, I think, you know, it, it wasn't the seven minutes that we spend today. Yeah. Right. What, 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 what do you read? Uh, when you wake up, so take your journalist hat off for a second, given what you know, 
um, what is your source of what are the what do you pick up and say right this must be closer to the truth or whatever hard fact base is it the economist is it something else what what where do you, what's your go-to reading so i do a little bit of um the uh you know, I was describing the bankers and how they uh, get their news. I do a little bit of that incremental stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I spend uh, a few minutes literally on uh, on Twitter and uh, I, I try and avoid uh, reading Facebook for, for, you know, news because that's just, you know, that's, that's just now crazy, right? Um, so I'll do a little bit of that to see if I'm surprised. But I find that to usually be like, you know, noisy and not very uh refreshing then i'll look at um you know the the usual suspects um i like to read uh business news so i mm -hmm. you know my my sort of alma mater so i'll i'll check out like uh bloomberg.com i'll check out uh the new york times i'll check out the wall street journal uh i'll check out the times i'll check out maybe the telegraph maybe um I I, um, I have uh, my Google News alerts, so I use it to, for, so like, uh, I have like a Russia alert. Mm -hmm. So every day I get like all the stories about Russia. Mm -hmm. I've got like, so I don't, I don't really have any huge loyalty mm -hmm. to, uh, I, I kind of sample around. I love to listen to NPR. Um, I love to read because I, I think we don't get enough of it, you know, uh, uh, conservative opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and just, yeah, you know, because I, I don't feel like, you know, necessarily hearing it all of the time around me, mm. I guess maybe hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea. I like to read, uh, Russian, uh, news mm. sources cause I follow Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot there surprisingly, uh, for many, I think there are a, a lot of independent, you know, they're niche, but there are independent news organizations of Russia. I find them to be very, very educational. Mm. Let's go into the future a bit. So, Ryan, if someone were starting your career again in today's world, what yeah. would your advice be for them? Go somewhere where uh, someone isn't uh, doing a proper job at covering the story and start telling it and, and sell uh, that story. Mm -hmm. That's the best way in. So look at where the opportunities are and do better. That's uh, how I did it in 1995, right? I mean, Russia was uh, like a, what did they call it? Uh, it was a... Um, hardship post. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were like, uh, so I just went in and like, you know, made people coffee. I was like the, uh, it was a big story because it was so chaotic. And so I was like uh, in charge of, uh, drivers and translating. I had all kinds of random jobs, but because there was more work than there were reporters, I was okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I think you'll find if you go to Washington, D.C., the per capita, uh, you know, reporter mm -hmm. to story is much higher. So I wouldn't do that. I would go to where, uh, find a story you want to tell, go there and start telling it. And then, you know, that's how you get to learn the trade and then move from there. Journalism school, I, I don't know. I don't know how useful that is. So just on the ground, real experience Taking yeah, that's what I would chances say. Chances I mean, going it used for to be it. two paths, right? Mm -hmm. Like for broadcast news, you would either do what I did, which is, you know, go in and sort of go up the totem pole, or you would go to a local TV station in a small market with a small audience in, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, Oklahoma, and then you go to another market, a little bit market, and and so, but you would start as like an anchor, mm -hmm. where, uh, but and move to larger markets, and eventually, you know, become I don't know Anderson Cooper of a you know national market mm -hmm. whereas you know i was like the like i said you know i was the um i was literally in charge of drivers for a, a good uh, mm -hmm. chunk of time i was the voice of boris yeltsin on cnn mm -hmm. for a little while i was a coffee boy i was microphone holder right um and you know eventually begrudgingly uh my uh the people standing above me let me do a little bit more particularly when they had to okay so i happened to be in places where there was no one else and i ended up on TV. Um, we have a, a question from Toralf, and it's an interesting one. He says, why is Julian Assange getting so little support from the mainstream media? Yeah. What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, uh, I have a lot of Russian oligarch friends who, who wonder the same thing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which we can, have, we can have a more involved conversation about sometime. <laughs> Uh, I don't get the whole Julian Assange thing. I mean, I don't know. Look, there, uh, there is clearly a place for people revealing uh, 
Um, you know, I, there's, I'm sure there's something I'm missing here, but there's clearly a place in this world for divulging information, which is not already available to us. Taking classified information, stealing, uh, taking stolen information and putting it out there. That's, I'm not saying that that's a terrible thing, right? But it's not the kind of journalism that I normally um, think of as journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't know. I mean, what what should we, Julian Assange, I, I, he's made a lot of stuff. Um, he's put a lot of stuff out into the, the public space. Good on him for doing that. Uh, is he a good journalist? I don't know. He's a good data collector and distributor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I wonder if what's behind the question, and I don't know, Taralf, but I'm, I'm just surmising what might be behind the question is this hunger that we all have for realness and truth. Yeah, right. right. And I think so we're in a landscape. Something. Yeah, it's yeah. like we're in a landscape where there's so many narratives that are getting spun, and depending on if you're left or right or whatever you are, um, that it's rare to actually feel like we're getting the real data. And so I think when we can feel like we get that unfiltered, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it's you know, ethical to do that when you're breaking into people's emails, of course, that, that kind of thing. But the point is more, I think that's what we're starving for is realness on this planet. Yeah. Cause it's in, it's almost extinct. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's some of that has to do with what I was talking about with like original on the ground reporting. We need more mm -hmm. of that, more, more looking at issues instead of talking about how people are arguing about issues. Mm -hmm. I think, um, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I think we're coming to a conclusion where, gosh, there are a lot of questions. I don't think we can ask answer them all today or ask you those today. But I think we're coming to a conclusion in terms of the future, um, which is that um, in past episodes, we've seen a lot of our guests tell us to turn the TV off. So we've said, what should we do? It's getting too much. You know, it's so yeah, negative. I, able to I don't agree with that. Um, well, that's one perspective. Uh, Mark Devine, one of our guests who's a Navy SEAL said, you know, just turn it off and focus on what you think is important. And, you know, there's a spiritual aspect to it. There's a piece around um, building, a, you know, more sort of positivity in your life. That's one element. The other is, I think you're also saying that we need to be a little bit more, we need to take ownership of the, the, the input that's coming in from the various channels, the devices or the, the websites or even the newspapers or magazines or audio, whatever, whatever you, you know, whether you like the written word or you like to listen to the, the audio or the video, I think we need to be more aware and take more responsibility around what we think um, is good information versus bad information or however we want to describe it. Mm -hmm. I'm taking that away from the conversation today and I don't think we've, we complain about it often, all of us, and we're like, oh my God, it's getting too much. But how much responsibility do we take to say, I'm not going to go down that path and I'm going to turn off a social media channel. I'm not going to say Twitter or Facebook, whatever it may be, but I'm going to stop going down that path because it actually is not helping me um, deal with um, trying to work out what's really going on in the world. And I, f I really do feel bad for a lot of true journalists and I, and I still respect them, you know, because um, I used to enjoy that. The, what you described to be journalism in the past is what I relate to um, journalism as being because it's that objective view of what's going on and without saying, well, I hate you and being judgmental about the outcome. Mm -hmm. So uh, wonderful to hear that. Uh, Rick, um, uh, we'd love to have you back on the show, by the way. So, but Rick, why, why don't we... we um, bring this to a close and, and some mm -hmm. final comments from you and from, from uh, Ryan. Yeah. I just want to say to Ryan, thank you again for your candor and just your experience and stories. Um, we'd love to get even more deeper in some of those actual experiences and trenches you've been in maybe next time. Um, but where can people find out about more about you and your work? Where should they go? Sure. So um, LinkedIn, uh, Ryan Shilkoat, uh, that's a place I communicate. Um, I report, uh, occasionally for the PBS news hour. So you mm -hmm. can uh, go on to, uh, um, their website. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't tweet so much anymore just because it's noisy and I, you know, I do other things. I, I, I you know, in, in addition to my reporting. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, I got a website, ryanchilcoat.co.uk. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. uh, those are, those are a few spots where you can keep up with me. Okay. So you're hearing that audience. If you're interested in more of Ryan's uh, point of view and what his work, and also if you're a journalist and you want to learn more about the field, please go to those uh, websites, uh, ryanchilcoat.co.uk. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again, Ryan, for having, for being on our show today. Thank you and very much. I wish I could have had, you know, sort of better answers. Hey, I think they were great. 
And um, let me just share this really quick for our show next week. Um, oops, <laughs> messed that up. Here we go. Um, it's actually going to be the first time since the very first episode that's just Rick and F, uh, no special guests next week. We're going to be uh, unveiling our new Maverick Leaders Program. And it's basically a summary of all that we've learned this last year. And it's our way of giving back to you. And so it's going to be some uh, coursework that's free and available to the public about uh, what does it really take to be the leader that we need to be in a post-COVID world from all the things that we've learned from our amazing guests this whole year on Straight Talk Live. So stay tuned for that. Next week, we'll be talking much more about our Maverick Leaders Program. And all of you- Is that week off next, Rick? Is that week next Oh, you're right. Sorry. Right? Next week is Thanksgiving in the US. So we're taking next week off. Thank you for that. So this will be uh, the following week. It's going to be December 3rd. So 3rd of December- Maverick Leaders Program. Stay tuned. Ryan, thank you again for being part of Straight Talk Live. That was very enjoyable. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Be thank well. Thank you so much.